as I said before, this passage of Scripture shows to us how the Lord Jesus Christ vanquishes death. He not only deals with the chaos that breaks out because of sin, He not only deals with sickness and affliction, the Lord Jesus Christ vanquishes death as well. And if I were to uh, sum up this passage of Scripture as I normally do in preaching to you, as I normally try to get the one main idea in your, in your mind, if I were to present to you a doctrine or a principle of this passage of Scripture, I would do it by the way of two other passages. And I would do it along these lines. I would remind you of a passage of Scripture that kind of forecasts what we see here. And that passage of Scripture is taken from Hosea chapter 13, uh, verse 14, where God speaks to the prophet and he says this, O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. You see, Jesus Christ is vanquishing death. And if I were to sum this up in a, in a proposition, in a doctrine, what I would say is essentially this, that the Lord Jesus Christ in breaking and bringing in the kingdom of God into this world has vanquished death. I would take up the words of the Apostle Paul in, in, 2, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, where Timothy says this, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is our doctrine. This is our principle. Jesus Christ has abolished death. And you see, this is the great effect of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And as I said before, I hope and I pray that you understand the, the, the importance of this, the, the vitality of this, how you and I need this. Every one of us will face physical death, but none of us need face spiritual death because Jesus Christ has taken that upon himself. And he has brought, as I said before, as Timothy says, he has brought immortality and life to light. Oh, you see the Lord Jesus Christ vanquishing uh, the effects of sin. And that's what's been happening in this gospel account of Mark. One by one, if I can say it this way, the Lord Jesus Christ has been dealing these death blows to Satan's kingdom. One by one, here comes, uh, here comes Satan uh, very early in the gospel account, and he, he engages Jesus Christ in the wilderness. He tempts him, and in that temptation, he comes up short. In that temptation, he cannot overthrow the breaking of the kingdom of God. Satan, by way of all of his subtlety, what does he do? In one sense, he lays all of his cards on the table, and he says, I will give you the kingdoms of this world if you'll fall down and worship me. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, no, I will gain this through obedience to my Father's will. Satan will not win this. And you see the subtlety of Satan, the attempt of Satan, the trap of Satan. And all the way through this gospel account, what we see is this working out of the kingdom of God in power. And there very early in the gospel account was uh, where, where individuals, again, oppressed by the devil. You remember, again, the man in the synagogue, demon-possessed, and the Lord Jesus Christ sets this man free. Again, these, these great exertions of power. Why do I bring this out? Because again, as I said before, the kingdom of God is more than just a theological idea. It is a very real personal idea. Destinies hinge on which kingdom you or I belong to. And I implore you once again to come into this kingdom if you're not there already. And if you are there already, understand the great value that, uh, that you have, the great preciousness of this gift that has been given to you. This idea of, of the kingdom of God breaking in with power is very significant, again, in the thinking of, this, uh, of, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in one place, you remember, if I, and I believe this is uh, uh, found in, um, in, um, in, in Matthew chapter, uh, well, you, well, Matthew, if, you, if you'll turn there, Matthew chapter 28, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 28, we'll see, we'll just uh, see a couple of passages here in Matthew to show you the significance of, of uh, the breaking in of the kingdom of God. And I know that um, 
I said Matthew 12. Let's go, actually, I'm sorry, forgive me for this. Uh, let's go to Matthew 11, uh, verse 5, and I want you to see something here. This is very um, chap- uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses uh, 4 and 5, and I want you to see something here, because in Matthew chapter 11, you have the whole account of John now being cast in the prison, and you have the whole account of John, and it, it surprises us. John is having these questions. He's questioning his, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you the one? And so John sends his disciples to find out what's going on here. Here John was in prison. And again, he might not have been expecting this. He thought that the kingdom of God would truly be coming in in a political or an earthly way. And so he, asked, he sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, Has the kingdom of God come? Are you the one that we should look for? And listen to what the Lord says in verses 4 and 5 of, of Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again the, those things which you do see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. What is he saying? These are the marks of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The lame walk, the deaf see, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Every time the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, the the kingdom of God is breaking into the kingdom of darkness, you see. And so this idea of the Lord Jesus Christ coming in power... Well, look here again, just turn the page and go to, go to Matthew chapter uh, 12, uh, Matthew chapter um, uh, 12, verse 28. And notice what our Lord says. Now, again, he had spoken to what we might say his friends about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God coming with power. Now notice what he says to his enemies in, uh, Mar- in Matthew chapter uh, 12, verse 28. The, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, says uh, the, the following, Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 28, the Lord Jesus Christ says this, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. What am I trying to say here? I'm trying to show you once again that it's the very theme of the Gospel of Mark to show that the kingdom of God is breaking into humanity and into the kingdom of darkness by way of power. And when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, there was a great act of power displayed on your behalf. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ and when you left behind the kingdom of darkness and you embraced the kingdom of light, again, you must understand that a great act of power was displayed on your behalf. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1 that he has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Oh, you see, the kingdom of God has come upon you and it's come with power. And that's what we're seeing here. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, he will once again, he will show to us the power of the kingdom of God by way of the actual vanquishing of death. Oh, death, I will be thy plagues, God says. Oh, grave, again, I will be thy destruction. Jesus Christ having abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How we thank God for that. Well, so much for our doctrine, we might say, so much for the importance of it in our thinking and in the, in the framework of the, uh, of, the, of the layout of the gospel here. What I want to do is I want to deal with this, um, uh, with uh, our Lord's uh, raising uh, uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. And I want to deal with it from three points, three perspectives, I think, that we can see uh, in this passage of Scripture. And in one sense, they all revolve around Jairus. Uh, again, to be sure, the... The one upon whom the miracle is enacted is uh, Jairus' daughter, uh, that one who is very precious uh, to Jairus. Uh, some very tender language is used to describe her. We'll take a look at that. But we're going to take a look at this whole, uh, this whole thing through Jairus' perspective. And we're going to see four things about uh, Jairus. We're going to see, uh, number one, the position of Jairus in society 
and the faith that he exhibited in Christ. That's point one, his position and his faith. The second thing we're going to see is uh, the second thing we're going to see is the condition of his daughter. The third thing we're going to see is the trial of his faith. And then fourthly, we shall see the reward of his faith. And so, again, I want you to see that in one sense, what we're seeing here is kind of like what we saw last week. It is an exhibition and a manifestation of a dynamic faith that rests in Jesus Christ and believes that Jesus Christ is able to do all that he promises to do. You see, you remember the woman again with the, uh, with the issue of blood. If I but touch him, I will be healed. If I but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. It was faith. It was a dynamic faith. And what we're going to see is as we work through this, there, there, there was an element of doctrinal knowledge there. Uh, this woman had heard of Jesus. Jairus certainly knew something of Jesus. There was a doctrinal content. They knew he was, a, he was able to do these things because God was with, was with him. We think of what Nicodemus said in John chapter 3. Uh, 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 Master, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God because no man can do the things that thou doest unless God be with him. So there was something of a doctrinal uh, awareness of who Jesus was. But it was more of a dynamic faith that we see, both in the woman and in Jairus as well. There was a faith that reaches out of itself and holds on to Jesus Christ. And again, this is, in one sense, this is the, uh, one of the vital things about faith. Faith is this receiving what God is offering. Faith is the grasp of a desperate man or woman looking to be saved from their affliction. And we see this both uh, at the woman uh, who has this disease and also with this man, Jairus. Well, let's take a look at each of these things. Uh, the position and the faith of Jairus, the condition of his daughter, the trial of his faith, and the reward of his faith. The first thing I want you to consider with me is the position, uh, uh, and, and the position and faith of Jairus. And if we come back to uh, Mark chapter five, verses twenty-one and twenty-two, we get something of a sense of this. Notice what we have here, verses twenty-one and uh, and twenty-two. Uh, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship into the other side, much people were gathered unto him, and, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. One of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Well, some of you might know that uh, the ruler of the synagogue was a very important position uh, in society at that day. Uh, Jairus would have been one of the more esteemed members of his community. He would have been a man that was respected. Uh, he would have been a man, again, that was uh, esteemed. He would have been a man that uh, many people looked up to. Uh, he would have been a man of some, uh, of some authority uh, in, the, in the day in which he lived. And it's interesting because when you look at the uh, ruler of the synagogue, he had a number of important functions. Uh, in a sense, he had to oversee the, the worship of, uh, the, uh, of the religious uh, society at that day, the religious community at that day. He had to make sure that uh, those who were going to be praying during the services were rightly appointed. He had to make sure that those who would have the responsibility of reading the word of God were rightly uh, appointed as well. And so there would have been much by way of personal responsibility he would have had within the synagogue, as I said before, that would have given him something of a, of a status within, uh, within, his, uh, within his, uh, uh, his, his community. And we see this man... And we see him now in this passage of scripture, not so much by way of the dignity of his position, but we see him in the desperation of his situation. He's not coming as a, and we might say it this way, he's not coming as a peer to Jesus of Nazareth and saying, uh, uh, good sir, I understand you're able to do certain works. I have a, 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 a particular need for you. No, he doesn't do that. In spite of all of his status, 
In spite of all of his standing, what does he do? He comes and he falls down at the feet of Jesus. And this is an amazing display of humble faith. And it's an amazing display of humble faith for a number of reasons. You remember last week when we talked about the faith of the woman, how that there were obstacles that had to be overcome. There were a number of obstacles, you remember. There she was. She was ritually unclean. In one sense, she shouldn't even, she shouldn't even have been in, 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 in public. Uh, there, were the, there was the whole issue of the crowd that she had to overcome. There was the very fact that when she thought she was getting close to Jesus, here comes one of the most esteemed members of the community and grabs his attention first. And she may have thought, well, what hope do I have? But this desperate faith reached out, didn't it? And so what you see, there were obstacles that her faith overcame. And it's the same way with Jairus as well. What were some of the obstacles that Jairus' faith had to overcome? Well, as I said before, he was a ruler of the synagogue. And I don't think that uh, we would make too much of a case that uh, he had to kind of get off of his, we don't know if he was on a high horse, but you, you, know, you know the old expression, you've got to get off of your high horse. But Jairus had to, in a very real sense, he had to, he had to humble himself. But that's one thing, fair enough. But I think there's something even deeper that he had to overcome. Something that would have been very challenging to him by way of his status in the community. You might remember earlier in Mark chapter 3, one of the things that we learned is that there had been an official delegation that had come down from Jerusalem that gave an evaluation of Jesus of Nazareth, you remember. In Mark chapter 3, verse 22, this official delegation, the scribes from Jerusalem, this wasn't again, as I said before, it had, it had, a, it had the weight of, a, of an official pronouncement. What do they say about Jesus of Nazareth? Well, this man cast out demons by, by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. And so again, as the ruler of the synagogue, he would have known what the official, uh, what the, what the official uh, 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 conclusion on Jesus was. But he's in a situation that goes beyond status and goes beyond position. It goes beyond all these other things that we hold on to sometimes. And by way of faith in Jesus Christ, obstacles are overcome. And there's a sense in which this man is saying, I know what they've said. But I know more what my daughter needs. And in desperate faith, what does he do? He comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you see, so we see something about the nature of faith, do we not? As I said last week, faith overcomes the obstacles. The obstacles don't keep true faith away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is this man, and he comes and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And he implores him, he implores him in, a, in, a very, in a very tender way. Once again, verse 22, he fell at his feet. And notice what we see in verse 23. And this, and this is we're moving on now to the, from the position and the faith of Jairus uh, to uh, the, uh, the condition of his daughter. And notice what we see here in verse 23. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. The condition of the daughter. He besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter. Well, the, again, the, the, the passage of Scripture is, is uh, very clear as to the preciousness of this man's daughter in his, in his esteem, in his sight. And, of course, that's easy to gather, isn't it? What man doesn't love any one of his children? What man doesn't love an only child? And what father doesn't have a particular affection for an only daughter? You see, and here is the Lord, here is this uh, man, this Jairus coming. And it's interesting because we don't so much see it in our English translations, but it's my understanding that from the Greek language, what we have are these interrupted bursts. 
Here is a man that is, that is overwhelmed by his emotions. This is why I said before, you know, the status and the evaluation that the, uh, that the official delegation from Jerusalem had to give on this one Jesus of Nazareth, it meant nothing now. And that tells us again a little more about Jairus. As being a ruler in the synagogue at Capernaum, he would have, he would have heard about Jesus. He would have known something about him. And I want to bring this out to you because this is very important. Your faith in Christ in a very real way can only rise to your understanding of who Christ is. Now, don't get me wrong. Christ will oftentimes respond to faith even in a limited way by way of understanding that we have of him. But the point I want you to see is just like the woman who had the issue of blood, when she heard of Jesus, she went. And it's the same thing with Jairus. Jairus knew what the official delegation said, but he also knew what he saw. He saw this one who was truly preaching the word of God. He saw this one who was bringing in the kingdom of God by way of acts of mighty power. And so what he does at this point, he he embraces, as I said before, something of a doctrinal faith. But what, what the chief characteristic of his faith is, is that it was a dynamic faith. Why do I bring this out? Because I want you to understand that when we talk about faith, and particularly saving faith, there are a number of things that we have to understand. Please know and understand that faith, saving faith, always involves true knowledge concerning the person of Christ. There is no saving faith without a knowledge of Christ. There has to be, if I can say it this way, doctrinal content. John writes in John chapter 20, verse 31, uh, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. There's the doctrinal content. And And that by believing you might have life through his name. So all true faith has doctrinal content to it. But not only is there doctrinal content to faith, there is also, in the classic words of the theologians, there is, there is also assent to this doctrinal content. Knowledge and then assent. But you know what's interesting is that assent and knowledge never really fully, I hate to say it this way, uh, close the deal, bad cho- choice of words. They never really embrace Christ as, as he is offered in the gospel. Why do I say this? Because I think we see a picture of assent and knowledge in the gospel where a man is still not saved. Eventually he'll become saved, but at the time that we see a certain episode, he's not saved. Who am I referring to? You remember Nicodemus, as I said earlier. What does Nicodemus say to the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, he says Master, we know that thou art uh, uh, you know, a man come from God because no man can do these things that thou doest except God be with him. He is, he is assenting to the fact that God is with him. He's assenting to the fact that, again, he, he comes again by way of be, being sent of God. And so he knew something about the Lord Jesus Christ. He assented that it was true. But at that point, there was no saving faith for Nicodemus. Why? Because faith saving faith. Faith by way of its gut expression. Faith by way of its desperate reaching out is not only knowledge, it's not only assent, it is a complete trust and reliance on Jesus Christ as he comes to us in the gospel and and the promise that he makes in the word of God. And that's what we see in Jairus. Notice again what he says here in verse 24 at the end, that she may be healed and she shall live. In this sense here, the, the, the uh, Jairus is, in one sense has something of an elevated faith of, of what we'll see later on in Mark chapter 9 when you have the man who's, uh, whose son is again in a very difficult situation and the Lord says to him, if you believe, all things are possible to those who believe. And what does the man say? Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And you see, Jairus is even a little further down the road than that. There's a sense in which what we see here is a dynamic faith. 
I hope we all have a true, a true grasp of doctrinal faith. I hope you're taken up with the. I hope you're taken up and truly love uh, knowing more and more about your Savior. I hope you're amazed and and are, are, and and are, are in one sense awestruck by the great reality of Jesus Christ as God manifest in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, I hope you can say with Thomas uh, on that day when he sees the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrected glory, my Lord and my God. And I hope these things all take you up. I think I hope these things all grasp you and grip you. But this doctrinal faith must be a dynamic faith as well. This is the faith whereby we live. This is the faith that gets us through our difficulties. This is the faith that a desperate man or woman reach out to Jesus Christ with. You see, do you have a dynamic faith here this morning? Is it a living faith? Is it, is it an active faith? Is it a faith that is holding on to the promises of God? In your circumstances right now, I don't know what they are. You know, in your circumstances right now, can you, in a dynamic way, hold on to the promise of Jesus Christ? You see, this is the thing that we see in this man Jairus. And there is much, again, that we see in his faith that's just wonderful to see. It overcomes the obstacles of what we would call in our day peer pressure. It overcomes it. And I think there's probably better ways to say it, but we all know what it's like to, to be the, the only one, the outsider, standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ in a hostile society. But Jairus did it. Why? Because there was desperation there. And I hope and I, understand, I hope and I pray that you understand the desperation of your situation outside of Christ. And so here is Jairus again with this picture of faith, this wonderful example of a dynamic faith. He speaks of his daughter, though. Again, in so many ways, uh, so much tenderness is brought out. Uh, again, this is, this is, this is Jairus' only daughter. Uh, it's interesting. I don't want to draw too much of a comparison here, but it's interesting. In the Greek, uh, the word for his only child here is monogenes. It's the same word when we see in, uh, in the Gospel of John. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, don't draw too much of a parallel there, but you understand. This is his only daughter. Of course he loves her. Of course he has care for her. There she is, 12 years old. And so again, we see uh, everything by way of his compassion and his love. Her condition, though, is interesting because the scripture says here that she was, uh, that she was uh, again, uh, near to death. Uh, I think Luke, uh, in his account of this, uh, of this miracle, says she lay a-dying. And what's interesting, again, going again back to the original language here, uh, is that uh, the word that's used here to describe her condition for death is the same word that, that in our theological categories, some of you may or may not be familiar with this, so be patient with me, uh, when you study theology, there's a, there, there, is a, there is a category of, of doctrine known as eschatology. It's the study of last things. Well, this little girl was at the eschatos. She was at the end. She was at the last. She was truly in extremity. That's how close she was to death. So close was she to death that by the time the father leaves and gets to the Lord Jesus Christ and then finally has his attention back because, again, the woman... Again, what was Jairus' thought? Why now? At this, at this time now? And maybe Jairus was just thinking, I just saw a miracle. But why now? And so Jairus again, in that intervening period, what happens? His daughter dies. And this brings us from the position of Jairus in his faith and the condition of his daughter. This now brings us to the trial of his faith. And there was a real trial here. And what I want you to see by way of his trial is this. Is that the Lord Jesus Christ saw the trial. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ assisted him in the trial. I have to admit, as much as I am taken up with the raising of Jairus' daughter, I am especially taken up with this next section that we'll consider. Because when Jairus hears, when Jairus hears the news from home, thy daughter is dead, why trouble the master any longer? We can imagine what happened to Jairus's stomach at that moment. We hear of cases where when people hear bad news, sometimes they just fall to the ground. Sometimes they're just literally physically overwhelmed. They can no longer stand. It's just, again, it's what went through his mind at that moment. Again, we see this here. Uh, again, when we come back to verse 35, I believe it is here. Yes, verse 35. Again, the trial of his faith. And when he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? What, what was Jairus thinking then? In that split second, what was Jairus thinking? And what is so touching here is that the Lord Jesus Christ in the, in the, in the very moment of the onslaught of this trial hears these words and says to Jairus, be not afraid, only believe. And I want you to see something here. You talk about a body blow. You talk about having the, the very hope just taken right out from under your feet. You talk about not knowing what to do next right now. And there's the voice of Jesus saying, fear not, only believe. Amen. He cares for his faith. Yes, he protects his faith. He will not let this man's faith go unattended. He doesn't stand back and say, okay, you're on your own now. He says, no, Jairus, fear not. I want you to see and understand when your faith is challenged, when you get that body blow, when you don't know which way to do, which way to turn, when again, you don't know the next thing to do right now. The Lord Jesus Christ says, fear not. You see how the word establishes faith? You see how the word gives hope? You see how the word brings life? Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ, again, he is here, and he is very, very concerned about Jairus' faith. He will not let it go to the ground. He will not let it be extinguished. That's why I read, that's why Rick had the, the passage read today. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Another passage of scripture, again, the Lord Jesus Christ and the bruised reed. A bruised reed who will not break in a smoking flax. He'll not quench. There's life there. There's faith. And it's being assaulted right now. And Jesus Christ is not only the Savior of our souls, He is the keeper of our faith. I love this section of the passage. I really do. I thank God that this little girl was raised from the dead. And those of you who have daughters and, we, and those of us who have children, we know and we understand that in the moment this man's faith is secure, this man's faith is saved. I think of how many times the Lord Jesus Christ uh, cares for faith of, the, uh, of individuals. As, as I said before in Mark chapter 9, uh, there's the man crying out to the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, help thou my unbelief. You think that's a prayer that goes unanswered? It doesn't. It doesn't. In your difficult times when faith seems to be waning, when, when affections seem to be grown cold for the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I love you. 
Help the areas where I don't love you. Lord, I believe. Help out my unbelief. You see the Lord Jesus Christ again making sure that faith does not lose out in this whole matter. I think of the passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. And again, the, the part that I want you to see is uh, where, where God says through, through the prophet Isaiah, I will uphold thee with my right hand, with the right hand of my righteousness. But I want you to read, I want you to know and hear the whole verse. Take your Bibles and turn here. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. <clears throat> Again, here is our great God speaking to us in our time of trouble. And what does he say? Fear not, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will hold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And here is the Lord Jesus Christ upholding Jairus with the right hand of his righteousness. Fear not, he says to Jairus, only believe. Oh, you see, aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus Christ... Again, not only saves our soul, he secures our faith as well. Oh, how we thank God for this wonderful work, this wonderful display of compassion on the part of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as I said before, uh, here is uh, Jairus again, now in the, very, in, in, in the very throes of his whole situation there. And Jesus is speaking peace to his soul. Jesus is consoling him. Jesus is comforting him. Well, so that's the trial of his faith. And the next thing I want you to see now is the reward of his faith. And as we move through this again, we're, we're seeing again that in one sense, you see the perspective I, that I'm treating this passage of Scripture. I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that theologically, we're still really all about the, the power of Jesus Christ and, and bringing in the kingdom of God. In one sense, if we were to say, okay, theologically what's happening here, it is, again, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, the inability of Satan to, to overcome uh, uh, God's kingdom coming into humanity. Death, if you, if, I'm sorry, sin, if you, would, if, you could, you know, if you could ask this, if you would say to sin, what's the best you have? And it'd say death. And it'd say, I win every time. And then it'd come, and then it'd come face to face with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you don't. Because when it's all said and done, oh, death, I will be thy plagues. Oh, grave, I will be thy destroyer. And you see the Lord Jesus Christ, again, he is showing that when the kingdom of God breaks in, it breaks in with divine power, overturning every effect of sin, the chaos of the sea, the chaos that sin brings, overturned by Jesus Christ. The demonic affliction that sin brings, overturned by Jesus Christ. The physical affliction that sin brings, overturned by Jesus Christ. The death that sin brings because of its wages, overturned by Jesus Christ. Theologically, that's the center of what's happening. But there's a personal story here. There isn't there. And it's this man, Jairus. And there he is in the whole going back and forth of faith. And the Lord Jesus Christ, at the moment of his weakest point of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks a word to him. You understand how important the word of God is to you. Jesus Christ speaks the word to him. What does he say? Fear not, only believe. And so now we move to the trial of faith. Now we, remove, now we move to the reward of faith. And let me say this. I use the word reward with a little bit of caution. I don't want you to think that, uh, that, uh, uh, that uh, in some way that there is a merit uh, to faith. I don't want you to think that somehow that, uh, uh, that you have something that you can hold over God, that God has to give you something back for it. But like I said last week, God always honors faith because faith always honors God. Faith takes God at His word. Faith is very, that's why faith can be a very simple thing. Faith can be as simple as the, as the, as the, as the blind man in John 9. You ask me who he is, I don't know who he is. All I know is that once I was blind and now I see. It's just saying, yeah, he's able to do it. And that's, what, that's what's happening with Jairus. He says, if you come and touch her, she shall live. 
And so now we see the reward of faith. And it's very interesting because there are a number of things here that, that, we, should, uh, uh, that we should be aware of. As we come here, there, as we come to this next section, we have to deal with some of the things historically and culturally that we see. Uh, we also have to deal with some of the things that we still see in our day by way of uh, opposition to the, to the claims of Jesus Christ. But then we're also going to see something by way of what our Lord does in each of these situations. Notice the first thing that we see here when we come to verse uh, 38. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and see at the tumult and them that wept, great, wept and wailed greatly. Now many of us know uh, that it was uh, something of uh, just a, a cultural uh, reality that uh, when somebody died, uh, not only would there be the friends and family mourning, but there would also be quote-unquote professional uh, mourners that would be brought on as well. And on one hand, we want to we, we want to be as kind as we can, although the text is going to make us have to deal with them, with these individuals in a, in a more stern way. But just coming into this, we would think that, well, these were people that must have had, you know, uh, compassion uh, for those who were uh, suffering. Uh, they must have been uh, uh, able to, uh, you know, help and enter into people to a person's grief. And there they were, wailing and, 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 and weeping. Uh, it's kind of interesting that, uh, uh, that, what we, that this man being the ruler of a synagogue, there probably would have been quite a few people involved in this. And we want to say, oh, you know, how touching that would be. But something of their insincerity, or if I can put it this way, something of their professionalism is exposed in this passage of Scripture. Because when our Lord says, why are you weeping? She's not dead, she's only sleeping. They don't respond respectfully. They scorn him. They laugh him to scorn. And I want you to see something here, because when... We see them scorning. Again, this calls into question their sincerity. Maybe they were just hired, not a hired gun, but hired weepers, we might say. And so when the, when, when the reality of what our Lord is about to do breaks upon them, they think this is impossible and it can't be. And, and again, rather than just being respectfully quiet, they, they, they laugh at the Lord Jesus Christ. So they are what we would call in our day, they are scoffers and mockers. And I want you to notice something, that our Lord, what our Lord does with scoffers and mockers then and what he does in our day as well. You notice how he has the scoffers and mockers leave? Because scoffers and mockers are never privileged to see the great acts of God. You understand? Scoffers and mockers are never given to see the deep things of God. But let a man desperate in his faith come to Jesus. Let a woman desperate in her faith come to Jesus. Oh, and she does see, he does see the deep things of God. These scoffers and these mockers are, are with us today. We want to be careful how we make the, the parallel or the application. But we know they're there. And they scoff and they mock and they maybe, uh, uh, may, maybe courteously just kind of smile at our, at our maybe sincere but misguided uh, uh, faith in this one Jesus of Nazareth and... and uh, they don't think much of our Savior. And sometimes they're very open with their scoffing and their mocking. Let me say this. They'll, they'll never see and understand the deep things of God that you'll see and understand. Don't let these mockers... And see. Remember what I said when we were preaching through Second Peter chapter 3? Don't let these mockers laugh you out of heaven. Don't let these scoffers in their mocking and their unbelief keep you away from the precious and the deep things of God. And so Jesus says to the scoffers and the mockers, no, out. <clears throat> and he comes, and he speaks to this girl. This is wonderful. 
He comes to the girl, and he speaks to her. Jesus speaks to people that are dead. Three times in the scripture. Here, the widow of Nain, the son, her son, the, the son of the widow of Nain, Lazarus. Jesus speaks to the dead, and they live. I think of a passage of scripture in John chapter 5, verse 25. The day is coming when all those who are in the grave shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall live. But I think of another kind of a picture here, and I, and I think that we have to deal with the, all the joy that we're about to see break into this house when Jesus says to this little girl, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. I think we have to be able to make an extension here and an application and understand that Jesus still speaks to dead people. I know that don't sound like I'm I'm not trying to make a joke here. But to those who are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, Jesus speaks the word of life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you who were once dead in trespasses and sins. And so there each and every one of us were. We were in a state of spiritual deadness. And the word of Christ came to us. And the work of the spirit of God operated upon us. And there you and I were raised to new life. This woman, this little girl. Oh, what joy there was in that family. This little girl was raised to life. And it's wonderful, as I said before, to see uh, the joy that uh, this household now had. And I think it's the same thing when we consider what the Lord has done for us. You might not think that you were spiritually dead in sin. And can I press you a little bit here? Some of you may be here spiritually dead in sin. You need to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of the word. We have young people here today, more than we normally do. Very, very glad that you're here. Young people, I want you to see and understand, young people face death as well, do they not? Death, again, knows no age limits. But the word of the Lord Jesus Christ is to you, little girl, young man, little boy, I say unto thee, arise. The voice of the Son of God speaking. Again, this is the power of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of darkness cannot stop it. And so what we see here, as I said, is the Lord Jesus Christ, again, giving life, overturning the effects of sin. Sin gave its best shot, and it was death. And when it was all said and done, Jesus got up and said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You see the Lord Jesus Christ. One more thing I want you to see here by way of this, uh, by way of, uh, this, this account. Now, Jesus, uh, we see here that, uh, that the woman got up and walked. And I, I think there's another parallel here that we can draw. It's something, it's a little bit of a reach, uh, not too much, I don't think. But by way of an application, I think it's valid. Do you know when the Lord Jesus Christ raises you from your spiritual death? He calls you to walk in newness of life. That's Paul's exact words in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Here is this young girl. Again, she's up and she's walking. The new life is a life that is actually lived. The new life is a life that is engaged in. The new life is a life that has a a dynamic faith given to it and attached to it. And so what we see in this passage of scripture, as I said before, is this wonderful picture of this dynamic faith. Well, how do we leave a passage of scripture like this? I hope we don't leave it from the standpoint, isn't that interesting that that used to happen back then? No, 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 no. Don't hear in such a shallow way, please. No, we see and we understand that in all of our trials and all of our difficulties, when life hits us with those body blows, that Jesus Christ is there to say to us, fear not, 
only believe. When things seem to be as difficult as they can be, the Lord Jesus Christ is still and always calling us to faith. And that there is coming this day when all those who are in the grave shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall live. And when you and I, when we go to our last day, when we come to our graves and physical death may have its effect on us, we can look at the grave and say, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Christ has brought me not to death. Christ has brought this body to sleep. My soul shall be with him, and there is coming a day of resurrection. My brothers and sisters, look to this one who is able to give life to the dead. Look to this one who is able to secure and strengthen a faith that has just been dealt a blow that it does not think it can recuperate from. There is your Lord Jesus Christ saying to you, be not afraid, only believe.